I cried. You know what that means. Five stars? Five stars. (laughs) Yay. All right. your TBR. I'm Tina from TBR Etc. And I'm Renee from It's Book Talk. This is a conversational podcast about books and more for two Midwest food readers who are easily distracted by new releases. Today, we're talking about our latest backlist reads. We'll share something that we've been loving lately, review our latest read, and have book talk about backlist books, and share a few that are not new and being talked about everywhere right now. We'll wrap things up with our shelf edition, a book that we've added to our own TBR list. We're a new podcast, so if you like what you hear, we'd love for you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you have a quick minute, please consider leaving us a review. It helps us find our perfect listening audience. So quickly at the top of the show, we wanted to remind you that you can still join our Patreon for $5 a month. And now is the perfect time to do so because on Wednesday, September 15th at 7.30 Central, Renee and I are talking about our fall bonanza list. So we're each going to bring a ton of books that caught our eye for this fall, and it will be a live feed through Patreon and it's exclusive content for our patrons because we're not going to be sharing a full Bonanza episode here on the main show. Feel free to bring a cocktail Mm -hmm. and join us. Yep. And we'll be sharing. It's going to be recorded. We'll share the list and we might even get a quick high from our editor. He, he wants to be involved. So oh, that <laughs> yes. would be great. I would like to say there we go. So hopefully we'll see you there. Yes. Hey, Tina. Hi, Renee. How are you? I'm doing good. Got my coffee. Yes. I have too and much coffee. <laughs> me too. We've bumped back to the opposite of book talk after dark and we're mm-hmm. book talk in the morning. Book talk in the morning. Yes, I think it'll be good. It'll probably hit me about halfway through this episode. So we'll see. I know. If if we start talking fast, we'll have to signal each other. (laughs) (laughs) Right. If we start talking too fast, let me know. Uh, Same. But no, I'm excited. Um, This ended up being a little harder to stay focused on backlist books. And I shouldn't be surprised because we both are so easily distracted Mm -hmm. by new releases. And I kept having to tell myself, like, no, only, like, we're reading Backlist right now. Mm -hmm. I (laughs) had the exact same experience. That's so funny you say that because I was, I picked out a couple Backlists. I was like, oh, I've been meaning to read this, whatever. And I was actually in the middle of two Backlists as early as most, like, as of this morning. And I was like, okay, I need to just settle down and, like, pick the three (laughs) that I'm going to talk about today. I can still finish these. We still want to read Backlist year-round. Like, it's okay. But you're right. I did keep finding myself, like, having to... I was like, am I enjoying this book? Am I not enjoying this book? And I wonder Mm -hmm. why that is. Because, hmm. I don't know. I think we can dig into that. I have some thoughts. Okay, let's, let's talk about that during book talk. Yes. First, do you want to share what you've been loving this week? Absolutely. So for today's Loving Lately, I have a TV show recommendation. Oh, good. Yeah. So it is The Chair and it's on Netflix. Have you seen this around? Not at all. Okay. Awesome. 
again, it's called The Chair, and it stars Sandra Oh from Grey's Anatomy. And, oh, and Killing Eve. And Killing Eve. And I love her. And honestly, that's all I need, really, to consider watching something is to know that Sandra O oh is in it. Specifically, what made me turn this on was because it's set at a university. And she is the chair of the English department. And I work in a university. I work very closely with faculty members. So I just knew it would resonate with me. So she plays the first woman of color dean at a small liberal arts college, and her department is in crisis because they've got declining enrollments and therefore a dwindling budget. There is tension between respecting the older and tenured professors and their high salaries and evolving the university as the students change and as their needs change. Then you have beloved professor Bill Dobson, who is a train wreck in his personal life, and he ends up doing something that attracts national outrage. So this is a show about balancing motherhood with your career, being a person of color in the workplace, aging in your profession, and it blends culture and family, and it's about challenging the status quo. It's also very funny. It's I think it's a comedy. It's like a drama slash comedy. So Don't go into this thinking it's super heavy, although there really are some heavy parts. I thought it was a nice balance. I loved seeing older actors play these tenured professors. I thought they nailed it. It was really funny. One of the female tenured professors is absolutely incredible. She has her own kind of side arc, and she sometimes steals the show. The university setting is perfect for fall, and there are only six episodes, so you can get through this really quickly. I really enjoyed it, and I wanted to mention it today. It's the TV show The Chair, and it's on Netflix. Oh, that's a great recommendation. Um, She is funny. She pulls off, like, snappy humor really Mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. So I am adding that to my maybe upcoming (laughs) Netflix. Um, If I get back to TV watching... Well, exactly. Outside of Monday and Tuesday nights. Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't watch a ton of TV outside of reality. So this, again, I picked it up because of the university. It's really nice, too. It's set at a real university. So it's got the quad and the old buildings and that sort of thing, too. But I enjoyed it. Okay, good. All right. What's your loving lately? My loving lately, you will know much about. Oh. And I'll tell you why I wanted to bring it. What I'm bringing today that I, I love every day is Bookstagram, the Instagram community, specifically where there are people like us talking about books. And the reason I'm bringing this is two reasons. Oh, well, one, it's such a big part of how we even know each other. Right. We met, I mean, we met through blogging, but we really connected on Instagram through Bookstagram. And another reason is there's been some chatter out there, some article, an article specifically that called it a toxic place. Mm. And I don't agree with that. I think there's drama. I think there is plenty of that, but it made me sad that somebody put that statement out there mm-hmm. because to me, there are so many wonderful book people just posting pictures, talking about books, and you can pop on at any time of the day and somebody will want to talk books with you. Mm-hmm. And the other reason I wanted to bring this is because I was away for the weekend last weekend. We went out to dinner with a bunch of people. And of course I, you know, managed to steer the conversation to books to the, the, the lady sitting next to me. And she had never heard mm-hmm. 
of bookstagram, but it was on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And so when you're in it, like we are every day and you think everybody must know about it. Right. And that made me realize that no, they, not everybody does know about it. So I think it's a wonderful place to be. It's not something that you know, I get overly consumed with, Mm -hmm. I can see the pros and cons of social media and, uh, and, you know, the, if you worry about likes and you worry about all that, but if you love books and you would like to add new people to who you can talk about books with, I think bookstagram is a great place to start. Mm -hmm. And like I told her, you can just go on Instagram and put in the hashtag bookstagram and start there. You'll get a million. And I think you and I are completely open to um, sharing a lot of our favorite accounts. If people want to send us a message or an email, I'm happy to kind of shout out a lot of my Mm go-to friends and people I think give great book recommendations and who just have a, a really great presence on bookstagram. Do you have anything to add to that? I do. And I think a couple things, honestly, on social media, I think you'll always be able to find things and point to things that make it toxic, quote unquote. And I think if you are somebody that gravitates toward that, you can find drama almost anywhere on Instagram or even on social media. But on the other side of the coin, I do think there are a lot more people who really are there for books. They're really there for community, for connection. It has absolutely changed the way I read for the better. I bet a lot of people can say the same thing. I actually wrote a blog post probably three years ago at this point called Staying Happy on Bookstagram and gave my little tips and tricks about things that I do to stay happy with it. Because I think if you get overly consumed with it or focus too much on likes and growth and that sort of thing, it can be a bummer. And I can see how it almost makes you feel bad about reading. And I think at the end of the day, if you focus on your love for reading, your love for books, and and just keep that at the heart of it, I think it'll help you stay on the platform if that's something that you want. If you don't want to be on the platform, my thing is engage with us. Like, If you're Mm -hmm. a quote unquote regular reader, I absolutely love when I see you DM me, I see you comment on our posts or this goes for any creator. If it's somebody on YouTube, somebody wherever, engage with them. If you like their stuff, don't feel weird about doing it. I think that's what we're there for is is connection and genuinely to to get to know people. Exactly right. And you can be on Bookstagram and not post anything yourself, Mm -hmm. but just, yes, like you said, be someone who starts to engage with people that you find common interests with. Maybe you like the same genres. You like, you know, you find someone who is your book twin or, you know, favorite authors. And then you can you can just go in the DMs and start a conversation. Mm-hmm. That is what we all want to do is talk about books and reading and our love for it. And just the fact that there are thousands of people out there just waiting to talk about books. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, I think it's great. And I think reading can be such a solitary experience, right? I mean, we're not Mm -hmm. reading. I mean, you can read in groups, but you wouldn't, there's not a ton of connection there. So I think this has absolutely made reading more social, which I really think is special. I really like that. Me too. And that is why I wanted to bring that today. 
And we will link to your article yes, on your yes. blog. Oh, that would be great. I will yes. share it. And I, I want to read that. Yeah, yeah. I will definitely share it. Yeah. So again, that was Bookstagram. Put the hashtag in. Or if you have questions, feel free to ask Tina and I for some recommendations. I love it. Thanks for bringing that because it's been a place that has brought me so much joy over the last five, six years. So Uh, me too. And we wouldn't be here today really Mm -hmm. without it. Nope. I don't think so. So thanks bookstagram. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Do you want to start with your latest read? Yes, please. All right. So my latest read was Once There Were Wolves by Charlotte McConaughey. And this is about Inti Flint and her twin sister, Aggie. They moved to Scotland from Alaska because Inti is in charge of a team of biologists tasked with reintroducing 14 gray wolves into the remote Scottish highlands. So in this area, the wolves used to run free, but they have been extinct for years. And these biologists are bringing them back in an attempt to resettle the ecosystem. This seems like the perfect time for the sisters to take on something like this. Inti hopes to heal the dying landscape, but she also hopes that this will help heal her sister, who has been rendered mute after something terrible happened to her some years ago. Inti has a very interesting condition called mirror touch synesthesia, which basically means that her brain causes her to feel whatever physical pain she's witnessing. Despite this, she is tough and will do whatever she has to to protect the wolves, even if it means going up against the townspeople who don't want her, her team, or the wolves there. And then the wolves do something surprising. They take to the landscape and start to do well, but then a well-known and vocal farmer turns up dead, which puts Inti in a bad position, and she ultimately decides to make a reckless choice to protect her wolves. From there, things evolve into a bit of a murder mystery because if her wolves didn't kill the man, who did? For me, this book was such a pleasant surprise. I did not know a ton about it going in, but I had the audio, picked it up, and quickly got sucked in. I know for you, you don't always love Scottish narration, but I actually quite liked this. It didn't feel... And I don't want to say a Scottish accent is distracting, but for us American ears, sometimes mm-hmm. it takes us a minute. The narration was fabulous. It's Saskia Marleveld, who I absolutely adore, and I thought she did a great job. I picked it up on audio, and this is such a unique story, and that's what made me glad that I had read it. You are placed right there in Scotland, and you kind of get to know a little bit of the culture and the people and the highlands, and there's a really cute scene where... Inti is starting to get to be known by the people and she gets placed in this knitting circle with the whole town. They're like knitting those Scottish sweaters and she's there with the townspeople. I thought this was very atmospheric. She's obviously in nature a lot and I do a lot of listening while I'm taking walks in the woods. So it was so nice to have that nature component as I'm walking in nature. This would be great for fall or winter reading. The writing is excellent. And you guys know that I do not like overly flowery writing, but her words were beautiful, but not overdone in a way that felt she was trying to like show off or something like that. It was not at all hard to follow. And I thought this was a great blend of literary cli-fi and suspense. Cli-fi is climate fiction. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. I started going going down a rabbit hole there, but that's a tale for another time. Okay. 
This book is an examination of climate change, of trauma, abuse, second chances, and family. If you like stories about sisters, this one is excellent. I loved reading about their relationship. And if the sound of literary fiction with a touch of mystery and strong characterization sounds good to you, I say give this a chance. This is Once There Were Wolves by Charlotte McConaughey. Okay, I'm glad you gave me the heads up because I, I do have this waiting on audio. And I'm working on getting my ears better trained for the Irish-Scottish accents. Mm-hmm. So that and that sounds perfect because I also love to walk in nature. Yes, exactly. And animals. It, it, was, and, yeah. it was really good. I really enjoyed this book. Okay, great. Um, that is a good one. I... Well, hopefully I'll get to that soon because I really want to. All right. What's your latest read? My latest read is The Other Me by Sarah Zakrich Jang. Came out August 10th. And this is a sci-fi thriller. So we're, we're bringing the different types of thrillers. And I'll tell you what it was about first. So you have two lives. The one you wanted, the one that wanted you. So Kelly goes to her birthday party in Chicago. There is a lot of Chicago here. I saw that. And that's what made me like, I was like, oh, sign me up. You would like that. She's living a great life. She's going to her best friend's art show. She loves being an artist herself. And when she goes to the bathroom and opens the door to come out of the bathroom, she has mysteriously entered an alternate life. She's back in Michigan in her hometown where she grew up. And it's, it's very sudden. It's very jarring. And all of a sudden she doesn't recognize her life. She has 12 years of the wrong memories in her head. And she's married to Eric, who was like a guy that she barely knew in high school. Sound familiar. (laughs) Okay. So that's kind of the setup. And really what I really loved was the pace of this. Obviously, she's very confused. And what was really interesting was she had memories for both lives. It wasn't like she opened, like she walked into this new life in Michigan and couldn't remember Chicago. She she was able to remember both lives, but no one else remembered her. That's so wild. She ended up like, not a spoiler, it's fairly like early on, she drove back to Chicago. Oh, and she, Mm -hmm. okay. So she interact and nobody remembered her, which was really, really great. I was totally in to all of that. The pace was good. She was okay. I mean, I wasn't like completely invested in her, but then we reached like the 50% mark. Uh Uh Uh-huh. And I started to, and I was listening to this one. So the audio was great. But I started to realize that things were being monotonous and we were hearing, I I was hearing the same thing over and over and over again. Mm. Like she kept telling us things in the same way, but with different words. I got it. Okay. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. it was a lot of introspection, a lot of her trying to figure out what was going on. Got it. So you're like in there, like with her in her head, trying to decipher things as she's like running through different scenarios. Mm -hmm. And it was okay. I mean, I'm fine. I would, I will keep going. And I did keep going because I wanted to know how it was, it was going to turn out. However, I, and I don't know if this was something like maybe 
sometimes debuts can tend to do this, but because it got so repetitive and things were being told over and over and over again, I started to feel like the author did not trust me as a reader. I can keep details straight. Right. I don't, I don't need to be told repeatedly the same thing. And this isn't the first book that's done that, but it kind of threw me off. It kind of like took away my excitement or enjoyment. And then once we did get to the explanation of the, of what was going on, it was completely in left field. It it became like science and a lot of science. And then I got bored. So (laughs) I don't know if it sounds interesting. I say, give it a try. I did end up finishing it, but you know, I'm going to be honest and say that those were some of my issues. Mm -hmm. And that was The Other Me by Sarah Zachrich Jen. Thank you for sharing that. I hope you guys like when we bring books that were not completely, you know, five stars about, because I think it can be helpful when deciding what you should read, because some of the things that Renee said might be like, oh, I love when it turns into really a Mm sciencey backstory. So I like that. I'm glad that we, it's just kind of our authentic thoughts about books we read. And also, I don't want to just be like, oh, I loved this one. I loved this one and this one too and this one too. Like, you know, we got to have some nuance. Right. And and feedback about that would be great because I I debated about about this one and because part of me thinks, oh, you know, should I only talk about books that I'm absolutely raving about? But I don't think so. And I liked this quite a bit. You know, it was just those particular issues and somebody else might hear that and think, no problem. And I also want to know the science behind how this all could have happened. Mm-hmm. And if so, then go pick it up for sure. Awesome. Well, actually, today, speaking of things we'd like feedback on, we're doing something a little different. We're bringing you a joint latest read because Renee and I. Uh, this last week, hosted our, our very first buddy read on our Instagram, and it was for the book Billy Summers by Stephen King. Thanks for those that joined us. I thought we had a really good conversation, and it was oh, really fun good. to yeah, it was fun to dissect things with other readers. So, if you haven't read Billy Summers yet, Billy Summers is Stephen King's latest, and he is a sniper. It's all about this one man. He is a veteran, and he's a killer for hire who is said to be the best in the business. But his services come with a catch. He only does jobs if he feels like the target is a truly bad guy. And Billy wants to move on with his life, but he has one last hit that he can't say no to, and things go very wrong. So I guess where we'll start with, Renee, how many stars did you end up giving this and what did you most like? Okay. I ended up at four stars with this. And I'm not surprised by that because it did remind me, not in plot or, or anything like that, but in tone and style and the character of Billy, it reminded me of the vibes of 11, 22, 63, mm-hmm. Absolutely. which I also gave four stars to, um, mm-hmm. but I don't know. And, and maybe for the ending, cause I really loved the ending. Mm-hmm. I, I would, the ending would have been a 4.5, but what I really, really like is how Stephen King can give us a character and the way he writes, I just feel like Billy, I know Billy, like mm-hmm. 
Billy was a real person. Yes. <laughs> and yes. he made us grapple with the good guy, bad guy sort 100%. of dilemma because, I mean, I liked Billy. You liked mm-hmm. Billy. Yeah. But I, Billy did some bad things. Billy did some bad <laughs> things. And I found myself trying to justify, wait, is he a bad guy? Is he, but did he do, is he righting the wrongs of the world? And I'm like, no, murder is bad, no matter which way you look at it. But the fact that King was able to create this character, get us to care enough about him. Personally, I don't really care about assassin plots. Like, that's not something to me that I, like, ever would look into. The reason it worked for me is because it is very character-driven. Mm-hmm. If you're a reader that wants a lot of plot, I don't know that this would be your absolute favorite. At a certain point in the book, and we're not going to say why or where, it changes. It shifts tone. Things start to evolve. And you kind of, I think, see a different side of Billy. So know that going in. There's also a bit of a book within a book angle, which I do tend to enjoy. Mm-hmm. For me personally, I'm probably a little, I think I liked it a little more, maybe about 3.25. Here goes my my quarter stars. Wait, 3.25? <laughs> I'm sorry. 4.2. I missed Okay. 4.25. <laughs> I, I will remember Billy. And that the mm-hmm. end of the day, I will remember his story. I'm very glad to have read it. And it's a long book. And it, I had to have cared about this character to get through it. Yes. And you know what might happen? <laughs> because I completely binged this, as you know, mm-hmm. and just finished it two days ago, you know, basically 10 hours or something at one time. And I have a feeling if you ask me in a month, I may have a higher rating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see why this could be one you might need to sit with more, might need to unpack a little bit more because it wasn't what I was expecting. Right. No, it wasn't. I I thought it might be a little more plot driven, but then I should know better Mm -hmm. because he, Stephen King does not do fast plots. Mm -hmm. He takes his time building his character. He definitely does. Mm -hmm. Yes. But that's okay. It is okay. And I agree with you. Absolutely love the ending. It made both of us tear up a little bit. So I cried. I was out. I was out finishing a walk with Vinny. So I had leash in one hand and then I I had like trying to use my shirt sleeve to (laughs) like dry my eyes because I wasn't expecting to to cry Mm -mm. at all. I wasn't either. Yeah. So I thought to give us a character and to give us a story that Mm -hmm. got us so connected with him. I, I, yeah. I I enjoyed it and I'll miss Billy a little bit. The fact that I'm not reading this anymore. I completely agree. Okay. That was Billy Summers by Stephen King. Okay, let's jump into book talk. And I love definitions. So of course I was like, all right, I have to define what a backlist is. And I got a lot of my information from a publisher's weekly article, so I can link to that. But in publishing, backlist basically means not newly published. The newly published titles are referred to as a front list. So a backlist is a publisher's list of older books that are still in print but have been on sale for more than a year. I found out that backlist titles also play an increasingly significant role in the revival or in the maintenance of independent bookstores. Unlike Amazon, which allows third-party sellers to make revenue off backlist titles, some independent bookstores buy in bulk from the publisher and sell a store full of backlist titles. So for some booksellers, how well a title will sell on backlist is a major consideration about whether or not to buy that book for their store. Okay. I thought that was interesting, and it certainly makes sense. Right. And I 
And I'm actually glad to hear that because in my head, I always consider backlist to be anything published a year or longer. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know that was actually part of the definition. Well, I was thinking it had to be a book that if an author had another book published already. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I didn't even consider like, oh, if it's a year or older, it's backlist. Like, so I'm glad to have this definition because I was like, oh, that helps me, you know, conceptualize like what actually we're talking about here. So one of the things that Renee and I initially bonded over was my bio on Instagram. And it said, <laughs> easily distracted by new releases. So what made you connect with that? Because as soon as I saw that, I that's how I am. <laughs> and I was like, oh, so I ended up taking a closer look at your feed mm-hmm. because it was just that. I am very distracted by new releases. I love looking up what's coming. I love finding out what is potentially going to be my next favorite read. Now, it really actually makes no sense that a backlist couldn't fulfill that. Right. So why are we so drawn to new releases? But I mean, the fact that you said that is actually how I feel. I feel like it is distracting. Even Mm -hmm. this week, trying to focus or the last two weeks, I've been trying to focus on deciding which backlist has been on my TBR for so long. And then I'm going to read it and Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about it. And then I kept thinking, oh, but, but, you know, this book just came out or this book just came out and, and they're calling me. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. (laughs) And when we're recording this, it's an, it's beginning of September. So all the new juicy September reads are coming and I'm like, like dying because I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I want to read this, this, and this before the you know publication date. And I think for me, being on Bookstagram really has had an effect on me wanting to read a lot of new releases. Um, I was looking at my reading journal and I actually used to read a lot of backlists before Bookstagram. I used to read a lot of the same author. So if I found one author I liked, I would read all of their books, which I forgot I did. I am shocked by that. And I also used to read a lot of trilogies and series, which I try. I know I don't do that anymore for no real reason other than I think it's because I want to be able to create content and bring new things. So I think now it feels like there's almost a decision fatigue. There are so many options and I do Mm -hmm. have backlist in my mind. But like I said, when I see a new publication dates coming out, I want to read, read, read all the ones that are about to be talked about so that I can be a part of the conversation. Right. That makes complete sense, especially since we do see them repeatedly on Mm -hmm. Instagram. Mm -hmm. And then that the flip side of that is then you start thinking, well, wait, I, sometimes I get pulled in to what I keep seeing and I think I need to read it. I need to read it. And then I don't like it. And (laughs) then I, then I think I'm just going to go back and pick up something that I've been meaning to read. Mm -hmm. Cause at least if you read something you've been meaning to read, you get that sense of satisfaction. Like "Ah, I can cross it off my list. I've been curious. Now I know. Exactly. And two of my picks today are exactly that. And so I am so glad that I tried them. I read Mm -hmm. them and they're off of my, they're out of my mind now. Mm -hmm. And I know how I feel about them. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's a fun feeling too. And it's satisfying. It is. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this. When you find an author that you like, do you go then back through their backlist? 
Yes. I okay. want to. I do. I have recently done that with Sherry Lapina. Mm, yes, that's true. Yeah. And I that's fun. Yes, mm-hmm. I will do that. And depending on the time, especially now with the podcast, I don't want to, you know, continue bringing the same author mm-hmm. repeatedly. So that's kind of a dilemma. Mm-hmm. But if it's a book I love, then as much as I can go back through their Mm -hmm. backlist and see what interests me, I am going to try to do that and read them. Yeah. For whatever reason, I don't. And I swear, yes, once I discover a new author, it's like they're brand new to me. Even if they have five, six books before, I'm like, oh, good. The thing I do, okay, if I read their book, then I'll keep reading their new releases. I never go back to their backlist, which is so interesting. And I was thinking, honestly, if you do... If you do want to go back to an author you likes backlist, that could be a really good way to get yourself out of a book slump. Because Mm -hmm. if you like an author and their style, you might like their earlier stuff. That's exactly right. And on the flip side, what if you do really like it and now you just don't have time because to go back and read their backlist Mm -hmm. because then the new releases are coming out. Then they're coming. I don't know. It's a dilemma. What author have you read the most backlist of? Probably Sharon Bolton. Hmm. The yeah. Queen. The Queen Sharon Bolton. I think I've I think I have read every single one of her books. Maybe there's one like her very second book I want to say that was ever published. I might mm-hmm. not have read that one. Okay. But I'm not even sure. Um what about you? Stephen King. But I've been working on his books for a really long time. So it almost doesn't. I I do aspire to read all of his books at a certain point. But and I'm working on it. I've read a lot, probably, I don't know, 16 to 20 for him. He's got like 80. (laughs) So that's not bad. I've also read a ton of Jodi Pico. Pico. Oh, okay. Jodi. Jodi Pico. I think that's right. Yeah. Jodi Pico. She has a ton of books too. And I've read, again, another author I've been reading for years and years. So I had the opportunity to read some of her older stuff. And then John Grisham. Uh, he is another author that I've read. Uh. Oh, so many of his books. He used to be my absolute top favorite author. And I have read a few of his latest reads. I don't love them quite as much as his old stuff, but I'm, he's somebody I'm always curious about when he releases something. Okay. I used to read all his books too. And the only other one, the, I do want to say, I think I've read just about every Dennis Lehane. Oh. Except mm-hmm. for The Given Day, which is like a million pages. <laughs> but I'm probably going to read that at some point. But yes. Got it. Okay. And there is kind of that sense of satisfaction, right? Of being a completist. Like, okay, I've read all of XYZ books. And then, mm-hmm. I don't know, there's something satisfying about that as well. And if they're still writing, which he is not, Why not? as of now. Because he's writing, well, I went and saw him in person. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, it was my last outing, March 5th, 2020, (laughs) before everything collapsed and COVID. And he was here in Columbus and he is writing screenplays. Oh, that's right. But then I thought maybe since like after COVID, he would get back to books. But I don't don't know, which I'm bummed about. But uh, my point was, I guess... It gives you something to look forward to. Mm. If you've read all of their backlists and then you just have to anxiously wait for that next one, it's mm-hmm. kind of exciting. Yeah. Anything else to add? 
No, I'm ready to talk about right. some backlist. I know. I want to hear. I want to hear what you're bringing. I wish I had done it like you. I wish I had picked books that had been on my list the longest. I kind of just have three, almost random, but I have read them very recently, all of this year. So I can tell you, they're still pretty fresh on my mind. Okay, great. These I don't even know that these have been on my list the longest. I don't okay. think they have, but they have. They are ones that have hovered in my mind nonstop, like. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's always that book or two where you're like, oh, I need to read that. I need to read that. I'll get to it later. I'll get to it later. Well, that's what these are. This my first one is like that. So, okay, up first for me is The Kind Worth Killing by Peter (gasps) Swanson. I've read some of his more recent books, but I haven't gone back through his backlist. This one came out in 2015, and I picked it up to join a buddy read with Katie from Basic Bees Guide and Kelly from Dear Mr. Hemingway on Instagram. And talk about a binge-worthy popcorn thriller. I loved everything about this. It is a true thriller. So be prepared to just go with the flow on some of the more outrageous plot points. It's a take on a classic setup. You have two strangers who meet in an airport and agree to commit a crime together since they have no connection to each other outside of this flight. Ted is a tech millionaire. He's drinking gin alone at a bar and flying from London to Boston when he meets the beautiful Lily, a woman who's also traveling home to Boston. Their flight gets delayed, so they have time to kill. And as they get drunker, they decide to play a game of truth. After all, they'll never see each other again. So who better to be totally honest with than a complete stranger? Ted has found out that his wife is cheating on him with their contractor. And when he makes a passing comment that he could kill her, Lily confesses that she believes sometimes people do deserve to be killed and that she wouldn't be opposed to helping. Like, what? Who says that? (laughs) So they get on their plane and agree that they'll meet up in a bar at a town neither of them have been to in two weeks' time if they both decide they're going to go through with it. And they both show up and things take off from there. There are three acts to this book, and I really enjoyed this story There were all sorts of twists that I did not see coming, and this was very bingeable. I did the audio, and since it's an older book, I I don't think it was the most well-narrated book I've ever read, but it wasn't distracting enough to make me stop. I definitely recommend this to readers who are looking to be entertained or for readers who are looking for a book they can binge. I had a lot of fun reading this, and that's all I'll say about it. It is The Kind Worth Killing by Peter Swanson. I was so surprised that you hadn't read that yet. Yes. When you, I saw that you were doing that buddy read. Mm-hmm. I read that years ago when it came out, I think, and loved it. Yeah. And it was, I knew it would be right up your alley. Yes. And this is a case of, I had read his book. What's the one about mysteries? Um, it came oh, out two eight years perfect, ago. Thank eight you. Perfect Murders. Eight Perfect Murders. Really, I loved that book. I thought it was so good. Great for winter, by the way. But again, when I discover an author, I don't go back to their backlist for whatever reason. So I was glad to participate in this buddy read because it got me to really push it to the forefront. Yeah, that is a such a fun book. So clever. Mm-hmm. Like you said, twists. Oh, so good. Twist galore. And it sounds yes. like you read it a while ago and you still remember. I did. Remember I still it. remember. Mm-hmm. So you talking about You talking about it made me start remembering. And I do remember how much I loved like certain parts of that and especially the ending too. Mm -hmm. I did enjoy the ending. All right. What's next for you or what's first for you? First for me is one that 
I should not in any way, shape, or form like on paper. <laughs> but it is The Selection by Kira Cass. Mm, yes, I saw you were <laughs> reading this and I was like blown away. I'm like, what? <laughs> that, okay. It has been on my TBR forever. I don't, it, I don't remember how it came on my radar, but it came on my radar because it's been touted as if you like The Bachelor and all, then you need to read this. Well, of course I need, I was like, yes, I love The Bachelor and Bachelorette. So why haven't I read this already? I don't know. Now is the time. And the setup is there are 35 girls and the selection is the chance of a lifetime. So let me say first, this is like dystopian bachelor. Okay. That sounds perfect for me. Are you kidding? In another world. It is perfect for you. (laughs) So for these girls, because they're very, yeah, they're like 18 and younger. The opportunity to escape the life laid out for them has been presented. They have been chosen to go to the palace and meet Prince Maxon. And he will choose one of them to be his wife. It is exactly the setup of The Bachelor. I cannot tell you. They are going to be filmed. They get makeovers. They A lot of them decide to do this because if they are chosen as one of the 35 girls, their families will get a stipend just by be- them being chosen. And a lot of them are in dire need of money so that they can help their family. So you have America Singer, which I don't love the name, <laughs> and she is selected. She does not want to go, however, because she is in love with Aspen, which I don't love that name. Yes. These are very, names, these but... are very like, yeah, no, but so Aspen has her true love and you feel that like you get to meet the two of them together. He is her love. And this is a caste system, too. Mm -hmm. And so in this caste system, like Aspen is way below America and they they by law cannot be together. Mm -hmm. So they have to be in secret and all of that. So he wants her to go because he wants her to potentially like save money so that then someday they could be married. Okay, so that's the setup. She is chosen. She goes. It is glitz and glamour and everything that the other girls that are also chosen. There's drama and there's like like side friendships, just like on the show. Mm-hmm. It's I think you would love it, Tina. And so what ends up happening is there's some twists. The palace ends up being attacked. There are violent rebel attacks happening. Like there's quite a lot of drama. And so America meets Prince Maxon and maybe sparks fly. Maybe they don't. The things happen. I don't know. I was here for it. I should not have loved it. And I loved it. And here's why I shouldn't have. This was very YA though. Yeah. Very YA. And there was a whole lot of like, this character rolled their eyes and that character rolled their eyes and a whole lot of eye rolling, which I was like, okay, I understand. We got that the first time. I don't know why, like, we have to keep hearing the same thing like that over and over again, but that's just a minor, like, critique. But I get it. Have you, you haven't read this, correct? No, I haven't. Mm -mm. Okay. I didn't think so. But then I, I was doubting it for a second. 
FYI, everyone, I was on the edge of my seat. I needed to know this is a really good love triangle because things happen. We have not seen the last of Aspen. And it ends, FYI, on a cliffhanger. So you better have book two uh-huh. ready to go. And I do. But then I couldn't start it because I needed to, I wanted to read the other ones for today. Got it. So that was The Selection by Kira Cass. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely going to re- read these. And I was going to ask you if you're going to continue the series. Yes. Oh, yes. I've already downloaded book two. And uh, I did do this on audio. I lo- I kind of alternated because I did have a print copy of this. I don't have a copy of book two. So the only way I can read that one, there's a wait list at the library and everything. So I, yes, I'm continuing. I'm probably going to squeeze that in this weekend. Yeah. Well, I was just looking. And what I think is good about this is I looked on my library app as Renee was talking, as I want to do. But yeah, there's <laughs> holds on all of the books. So obviously yes. this is a very well-loved series. Yeah. It's, for, it's perfect for us, Tina. Excellent. All right. I'll give it a go. Let me tell you about my next book. Next is Night Music by Jojo Moyes. And speaking of authors, Jojo Moyes is one who I have read a lot of her backlist. So I wanted to pick this up. I went on a journey with Night Music, but ultimately I did enjoy. At first we meet Laura. She is the next door neighbor and caretaker of Mr. Pottersworth. Matt, her husband, is a contractor, a real jerk and has been cheating on her for years. He is absolutely obsessed with the Spanish house, a rundown and rambling home, and he's had his eye on it for years. And basically, Laura has been taking care of Mr. Pottersworth for a long time, bringing him two meals a day. They thought that they were going to get a windfall when the old man passed away. But Because they thought he didn't have any family. Well, turns out he does have family. And when he passes away, he gives it to a long-forgotten niece, Isabel Delancey. Isabel is a violinist, and she is deep in the throes of grief. Her beloved husband, Laurent, was suddenly killed. And she finds out that, although they lived in the lap of luxury when he was alive, he was in serious debt. So they are forced out of their luxurious London home and decide to move into the Spanish house, even though it is falling down. And much to the consternation of Matt and Laura, they get these new neighbors. And at first, guys, I could not stand Isabel. Her husband (laughs) did everything for her. She was kind of childish. She seemed to have always grown up with money and staff. So she finds herself completely unable to care for herself and her children. Her younger daughter, who's about 16, was like doing a lot of the bills and trying to help her mom understand how serious they were. Isabel's an artist, though. She's a musician. She's always had her head in the clouds. And at first, I was resenting her for not getting the severity of their situation. One thing that is strange is I could not figure out for the life of me what year this was set in. Some of the thinking was so outdated. We meet some other women in the neighborhood that are having tea and gossiping. And I thought it was set in the 60s or 70s, but then they would like DVR something on television. So I'm like, wait, where where are we right now? Anyway, as the family moves into this small town, everybody around them starts gossiping. Matt, the neighbor, decides to be helpful and does their renovations, but he is truly a terrible person and cuts corners wherever he can and overcharges them in an attempt to drive them away. 
I absolutely love the small town setting. My favorite characters were these two shopkeepers who sold artisan goods and had all of the town gossip at the ready. Isabel is an interesting character. The only thing she ever wanted in life was to play this violin. And so she finds herself a reluctant mother. And I thought that was really an interesting angle. She absolutely loves her kids, but she's probably someone that doesn't love taking care of them, which sounds like a bad thing, but I thought it made for really interesting. It was thought-provoking. This is a story about raising a family, about resilience, assumptions, and second chances. Now, Matt is a true villain, and it was really fun to hate this guy. So I kind of like that. You know how sometimes you're like, oh, is he good? Is he bad? No, Matt sucks. So we don't like him. Anyway, I am very glad I picked this up. It is Night Music by Jojo Moyes. Interesting. I think I have heard of that. And I've read a lot of her backlist too, mm-hmm. but not, I, I didn't know anything about I, this I one. I didn't either. I just saw that I had the audio book for it and I said, oh, I clicked on it. And I started listening and I kept thinking, why am I listening? Not a lot's going on. Not a lot's happening. What's going on? I will say the house is a character. This is very much one of those books where oh, okay. the house is a character itself. Just know that going in, but I thought it was really fun. Okay. All right. I'm going to move on and share one that I am so happy I can finally take off from my backlist TBR. (laughs) I know how I feel. Okay. And I'm going to try to share, but I'm really on the fence about this. It is Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I own this one. Mm -hmm. So I had a copy of it. It's been sitting on my shelf, which is also another reminder of like, read it, read it. And then I keep passing it by. This is her memoir came out in March, 2020. And it's supposedly about how a, like her messages for how mothers need to become more independent from their children. As far as like a woman or a mother is not does not have to be a responsible mother who revolves her world around her children. Mm-hmm. It is about navigating divorce, about forming a blended family. It's about discovering that the brokenness or wholeness of a family depends not on its structure, but on each member's ability to bring her full self to the table. It's about showing up in your life. And it was, I guess, it was about all of that. It's the way that she presented it, that I did listen to this and I debated about doing that because in the past I haven't been crazy about listening to her, but I went ahead and went with the audio and I really, really liked the beginning. She has a lot of messages about how we don't need to constantly be worrying about disappointing others and putting ourselves last, which a lot of time mothers and women do. And I liked that message. I don't think it was a new message by any right. means. And, and that was what I thought reading or listening to a lot of this. These are not new messages. She talks a lot about things that Brene Brown has already talked about a lot that Oprah has already talked about, or Oprah's guests have already talked about. I did enjoy some of the behind the scenes, like ways that she grappled with how to move on when she decided that she no longer wanted to be in the, in her marriage with her husband, 
Mm-hmm. And she had a book coming out, Love Warrior. And then she meets Abby. And in case you didn't know, if after you read this, you will have heard the name Abby 50 million times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's Abby Wambach, right? The right. soccer player. And who is now her wife. And I loved hearing the story of how they met and how that all kind of happened so instantaneously and surprisingly for both of them. But she did give a message, and I actually think she used the words at one point about how sometimes you just need to blow it all up, like blow up your life. Mm-hmm. And I, I immediately thought, huh, I mean, who can do that? Thank you. My I, Immediately <laughs> I bristled. I'm like, oh, okay, must be nice. I mean, who, and why would you, and remember, this is just my opinion, but it felt like she was promoting that mm-hmm. concept and maybe that worked for her. And it seems like it did work for her mm-hmm. in the end, but most, but most people can't do that and don't want to do that. But you know what I mean? Like I was looking for, like, tell me something I don't know. And I want to feel, mm-hmm. I want to, to read a memoir like this and feel inspired a little bit. and. Like maybe even take some new tools away, mm-hmm. you know, I was moving in, I'm in middle age. Like I didn't get that. I didn't get that at all. And I do want to share a quick like review thought from Katie Lady Reads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love her. <laughs> She's a great Instagram follow. And I, I did come across her Goodreads review and she, and I kind of feel this way. She said, I liked her anecdotal stories that showed her vulnerability and things I had not thought of before. But then she said about 100 times. And then I met Abby. And after I met Abby and I love Abby and Abby is so great. (laughs) And that is what happened. That is really what happened. And a whole lot, a whole lot of parenting stories that I kept thinking, I am so glad that my kids are already older because had I listened to this, I would have felt so inferior and Mm -hmm. especially her interactions and how she said her kids behaved as teenagers. I didn't find that to be anything I could relate to. Mm -hmm. Like she kind of put herself a little bit on a pedestal. Mm -hmm. At least that's how it came across rather than being compassionate when it comes to raising kids, it was almost it. like, it was almost like, here's what I did. And it turned out wonderful. Yeah. And you can do it too. Yeah. So no, that being said, I'm in the middle somewhere. Yeah. Cause I think there were, I think it was like a roller coaster. There are good parts and there are not good parts. And there are things I was like, Oh, okay. I like that. And then others that I hated. Mm-hmm. So that was untamed by Glennon Doyle. Great. I love, that was such a good balanced review. And I am glad that you got it off your list. I'm so glad. Yeah. yeah. It kind of, there's something to that though, but I'm glad you shared that one. Cause it sounds like there's, yeah. you know, again, we're not going to love every single book we read, but that doesn't mean we can't love parts of it. Exactly. And I did put it in my little free library yesterday and okay. I felt, I felt really good about passing that on because someone, it may just be the right book for someone mm-hmm. else. Exactly. Well, good. All right. Yeah. What's that? What's your next one? So this is my last book, and it is also a book that had been on my list for a while. I actually tried it first when it came out, put it aside. It was not the right time for me, but I picked it up rather recently, and it worked. It is Beach Read by Emily Henry. 
I know you've heard of this, of course. It's been everywhere. Her books are very popular, and she is active on Instagram herself as an author. But I wanted to share my thoughts about it because I don't love the enemies to lovers trope. However, I I enjoyed this because there was a couple specific items that made it worth it. First of all, I thought the premise was really clever. You have January, and she is a romance writer who is reeling from a bad breakup and from the death of her father. She no longer believes in love and can't find a way to write when she's in that place because she writes about love. She moves into her father's beach home that she essentially inherits when she meets Augustus. He is another writer, and he lives right next door. He typically writes highbrow literary fiction, and he is also stuck in a rut. So it turns out this is not the first time they met. They went to college together and did not have the best impression of each other from back then. Personality-wise, they are polar opposites. And again, this is an enemies-to-lovers type situation. He is dark and moody, and she typically is bubbly and happy, and they don't get off on the best foot. Because of their proximity and their similar career paths, they keep meeting and eventually decide to strike a deal. And this deal is designed to get them out of their creative ruts. January will try and write capital letter serious literary fiction, and Augustus will write something happy. Because he doesn't have any knowledge of rom-coms, she takes him on some meet-cute outings to kind of show him what the typical book might include. And in turn, he takes her on some of his research trips, including interviews with former death cult members. So what could go wrong? I listened to this, and like I said, I DNF'd it at first, came back to it a year later. I almost put it down again, but once you get past a certain point, I kind of got used to it. It is very cute and very witty. There's a lot of dialogue. It's very snappy, and it kind of can grate on me a little bit, but what kept me going is that both characters are grieving something, whether it's the death of somebody in their life or the death of a previous relationship. There is a bit of a melancholy story here, and I liked that. January had just lost her father and is trying to process that while also finding out that her father might not have exactly been the man that she thought he was. Augustus is dealing with things of his own, and I liked watching him come out of his shell and be less of a curmudgeon as the book goes on. I really, really enjoyed the small town seaside setting, and once I settled into this story, I had a good time. The narrator really brings this to life. I think it's Julia Whalen. And I like that both of the characters are authors and that we get to see some of the day-to-day of what it takes to create a book. The very last chapter made me sob, literally sob. I am very close to my dad and January finds something of his and it just really got to me. So that pushed this book up a level. I thought it was really well done. And all in all, I do recommend this. It is Beach Read by Emily Henry. I think we're on the same page with that because when it came out, I tried it Mm -hmm. and DNF'd it. Mm -hmm. And I can see why, again, it's pretty snappy at first and very clever. Mm -hmm. But once you lean into that, once they kind of start going on these like pseudo dates, I enjoyed it. And like I said, the ending, I was driving weeping. Oh, no. I was like, oh, my gosh. So that that really worked for me in the end. Okay. Well, I have one last book that I just finished a couple days ago. No, yesterday. And I have Bookstagram people to thank for this one. And it is Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell. Mm, tell me about it. And you might find it surprising 
that I am bringing, a, this is very character driven, which and literary fiction. So I'm proud of branching you. out, branching <laughs> out. Thank you. This is, oh, this was published in March of 2020 and I had completely disregarded it. I heard Shakespeare and I wrote it off and I should not have done that. So this is a book that is drawing on Maggie O'Farrell's long-term fascination with the story behind Shakespeare's play Hamnet and Hamnet and Hamlet are interchangeable. Okay. So this is her take on what may have happened with the death of Hamnet. And it's set in the 1580s and you have Agnes who is a mother and she's got the twins, Judith and Hamnet and an older daughter, Susanna. And the story alternates between present day of their family and the past when we first meet Agnes when she is a young teenager. So before she meets Shakespeare. At first I was like, is it Shakespeare? Um, But it is, but he is a Latin tutor. Mm. And so he's not even the focus of the story. Got it. Which I didn't know and I loved it. So they settle, they have a life and you get the story of what led up to what happened and the aftermath. And it really sounds like that's, there's not much to say, but wow. I mean, the writing, Mm -hmm. the pacing, I listened to this one. The narrator was fantastic. I do have this in print. I did alternate a little and either way, you can't go wrong with this story, but I do highly recommend the audio. Hamnet is himself a character and we get to know him. And I can't say enough about the way she writes about family and about Agnes as a woman during this time period and just their life and then what happens and then how they cope. This is definitely a story about grief and the aftermath of grief and the consequences and navigating life when you're filled with grief. I don't have that much more to say about it. I loved every bit of it. Yay. I am so, so, I am not, I am more shocked about the fact that I love this, but I trust, I put this up on Instagram as a, should I read this? Because I have such a beautiful copy of it because I won it in Brett's book stack on Instagram. I won it in his giveaway Mm -hmm. and it's been sitting on my shelf for about a year And so I popped it out for Throw Book Thursday and the amount of people who said, this is one of my top books ever. This is, this was a favorite of 2020. This is in my top three ever. I can't tell you. I was like, oh my God, I have to read this and I have to read it now. (laughs) So I thank everyone for that. And if you like the writing of Alice Hoffman, which I do, this would be a great book flight to read. It's very similar to her writing style. And that was Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell. Oh, that's so good. Great review. And this one's been on, it's on my shelf too. I have a paperback copy, so I'm very intrigued. I want to know, are you familiar with the story of Hamlet? Like No, not at all. Okay. See, no. I'm not either. And I, I was thinking I would have to be. No, but. you you don't have to be, actually. It's not Shakespeare and that aspect of it is not what the story is actually about. Good to know. Yeah. It's um it's really good. And, and sad. And sad. But okay. Okay. Well, 
I'm going to bring a shelf edition, which I think it sounds fun. It's a little upbeat, and it's called The Royals Next Door by Kareen Halley. And the tagline is, an ordinary summer goes royally awry when a prince and princess move next door, bringing their handsome bodyguard with them. You have Piper Evans. She is an elementary school teacher, an avid romance reader, and an anonymous romance podcaster by night. She lives a quiet life. She's a little bit reclusive because she's taking care of her mother who struggles with mental illness. And she's also reclusive because she is trying to avoid her ex who bartends in town. She is still trying to make inroads in the tight-lit island community she lives in because they still see her as an outsider even though she's lived there for five years. And she's happy with her life, really, until the royals that move in next door completely upend things because the brooding bodyguard that protects the couple decides that she is a security threat. Piper quickly realizes that one person's fairy tale can be another woman's nightmare. And as the media moves in and and really, you know, pays attention to the couple that's just moved to the island, she has a run in with her ex and she's running in with this bodyguard and her quiet life is suddenly becoming a lot more noisy. She eventually finds herself in the middle of a scandal that rocks the island, and she might need to lean into her relationship with the sexy bodyguard next door to help shield her from what's going on. It's about her career. It's about friendship, about taking care of aging parents, and she has to decide what she's willing to do for a shot at Happily Ever After. This one's getting great reviews. I do think I'll try this when I need a break from my mystery and thriller. This one is The Royals Next Door by Karini Hallie. Uh, I just got a copy of this. Uh, did so you buy it from to... the store? No, I ended up getting an e, e-galley You got from a the proof? publisher. They denied me. Yes. It's Berkeley. I was shocked. Believe me. <laughs> I don't know how I got it. <laughs> wow. Wow, Berkeley. Wow. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have to fight over this one because i know that sounds, sounds so good right so good mm-hmm. yeah yes yeah yeah okay i have a different type of shelf edition and mine is come to the edge by christina Haig. i went with a backlist shelf edition which i actually just added and downloaded already which came recommended to us by one of our listeners claire hanscom And she let us know that this book gave her a book hangover. So, of course, I and I had never heard of it. So once I pulled it up and read about it, okay, it's the love story of JFK Jr. and Christina Hay. It's an elegy to first love, a lost New York and a young man who led his life with surprising and abundant grace. When Christina Haig was growing up on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, JFK was just one of the boys in her circle of prep school friends, a skinny kid who lived with his mother and sister on Fifth Avenue and who happened to have a Secret Service detail following him at discreet distance at all time. A decade later, after they had both graduated from Brown University and were living in New York City, they began a five-year love affair. Their love affair is billed as glamorous and often in the public eye, but also passionate and deeply intimate, and their relationship was transformative for both of them. This is the story of how someone can leave a lasting impression on your life. It's about young love. It's about the people who shape you and remain with you, whether in person or in spirit. And this that sounds, sounds so incredible. I love it. It sounds so yeah. good. I love, I love 
that particular aspect of it is what really got me mm-hmm. too. I want to, I want to know how she talks about that and what she has to say about that. And that was come to the edge by Christina Haig. Ooh, that one sounds amazing. Good pick. Right. Yes. Thanks. Thanks, Claire. Yes. I love when listeners sent us recommendations. I do too. And I have been having the best luck with those recommendations. So I really appreciate it. That's it for today. We thank you for spending a part of your day with us. Links to all the books mentioned can be found in our show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can help us out by following us wherever you listen and by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get our podcast out to new listeners and grows our audience. And don't forget, if you're interested in exclusive bonus content like mini episodes, our newsletter, and our private Facebook group, please consider supporting us for $5 on Patreon. Details to this can be found in our show notes. Feedback and questions about the show can be sent to booktalkexc at gmail.com. You can also connect with us both at booktalkexc on Instagram, Tina at tbrexc, and me, Renee, at It's Book Talk. Talk to you next week. In the meantime, remember, everything's better with books. Today, we're talking about... Uh-oh. I have the wrong script open. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Today we're talking, and you'll find out what it's about. (laughs) Right. TBD. Okay.